Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God our Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt us. Of course, that is James 127. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. I am so grateful for you to be joining me today for our first episode of November, kicking off National Adoption Month. Um, Always very reminiscent for me this time of year because it was in November of 2006 that we traveled to Ukraine to bring home three of our children. So this time of year, this season always makes me very nostalgic. I go back and read my journals from the trip and um, just has a special place in my heart. So, um, and actually we have a guest on with us today who is an adoptive dad of some uh, kiddos also from Ukraine. So I can't wait for Uh, you to meet him. But first, please check out these important announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D great resources that we have for you. I'm also offering coaching sessions now. Um, So if you are looking for more of a one-on-one walk through the facets neurobehavioral model, um, I'm available for that. You can sign up for any of our training, uh, sign up for the support group or the uh, coaching at our website, justicefororphansny.org. There is a three-hour workshop coming, an online workshop that I'll be leading um, on FASD. It is scheduled for Wednesday, November 29th. So the end of the month, um, it's at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and we will be exploring the, the symptoms of FASD, um, going through a little bit, touching on the neurobehavioral model, which is a brain-based approach of caring for kids who were prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, so again, link in the show notes. If you're looking for any of that training, checking out our resources on our website. Also, please subscribe to this podcast or follow it. Um, if you're new, uh, you may be catching us on YouTube. So we have the regular audio version of our podcast out there on all of the um, podcast platforms, but we're also now posting all of the video of, of these 
podcasts on YouTube. So you can check them out there. So I hope you'll follow and subscribe wherever it is you're finding us. We're grateful to have you tune in. And I am grateful also for our guest. Um, I guess that wasn't really good for video. I just swiped the screen with my notes. Um, but I want to make sure that I introduced our guest um, accurately. We have Dr. Rick Morton. He is the Senior Vice President of Engagement at Lifeline Children's Services. Prior to Lifeline, Rick served for 15 years as a college and seminary professor. He has also served local churches in Tennessee, Louisiana, and Mississippi. He is an accomplished writer and a sought-after speaker. Most notably, Rick is the co-author of the popular book, Orphanology, Awakening to Gospel-Centered Adoption and Orphan Care, and the author of No Orphans, K-N-O-W, No Orphans, Mobilizing the Church for Global Orphanology. Rick and his lovely wife, Denise, have been married for over 32 years, and they have three children with special needs adopted from Ukraine. Dr. Rick has a special burden for vulnerable children and has dedicated his life to helping them. So please welcome Dr. Rick Morton. Welcome, Dr. Rick. Thank you. It's good to be here. It is great to have you. I'm so excited to talk to another fellow parent of kiddos from Ukraine. I know we were chatting prior to hitting record about that and um, just so excited to have you here for National Adoption Month. And I would love to just start with the beginning of your story. What what led you and your wife to pursue adoption? Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's sort of a long involved story, but the the, the short version is um, we we struggled with infertility for a number of years and uh, that you know, that led us on a, a quest in a lot of different ways to, um, you know, just desperately wanted to be parents. Um, and along the way, um, my wife just began praying about, you know, our situation. And um, the Lord really led her to conviction that it was that we should adopt. And um, I'll be honest, and I've said this in you know, two books and more articles than I can count at this point. I didn't share that conviction. <laughs> I was, um, I remember, you know, sitting at, at dinner and, and her bringing it up. And, and she said, you know, I think, I think we should consider adoption. I think, you know, God has something there for us. And I just, I don't even think I put my fork down. I just said, no, no, no chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to me, adoption sounded complicated. It sounded difficult. Um, I had visions of that guy with, um, with, you know, some sort of camera crew and some revelation or birth parent or something like that. And, and, and just, you know, like had a view of adoption that, um, that it, it was hard and probably didn't have two things I think were relevant. One, I didn't have many good examples in my own life, um, of, adopted families. Um, you know, we grew up in an era where you didn't talk about those sorts of things. Parents, you know, didn't talk about those sorts of things. And so that was, that was part of it, but also, um, growing up in the church, like we didn't talk about it in the church either. And and we certainly didn't talk about it in, in, you know, in theological terms at all. And, and so, um, so my wife didn't play fair uh, you know, the, the, um, and, and so she didn't do the conventional thing. She didn't start, you know, like putting pictures of waiting kids up around the house or, 
you know, leaving open Bibles to, you know, James 127 or Ephesians 1 or whatever around and, and those sorts of things. Um, she just prayed and uh, and mm-hmm. she just prayed very earnestly that um, the Lord would either change her heart or change my heart. And and she was, you know, she was very honest before the Lord and and said, you know, God, I think you've. I think you've given this to me. And so if um, then if it's not of you, take it away. Um, But I also trust that you're the God that, you know, holds the hearts of kings in your hand and directs them to streams as, you know, as as you would have them to go. So uh, my knucklehead husband is no is really no match for you. So um, change his heart. And, uh, and that's really what God did. Um, I was, I was teaching, I was a, a seminary professor at the time. And so it wasn't like I was somebody that didn't know the scriptures or didn't, you know, didn't have an, an understanding of, um, you know, of, of the Bible on some level. And, but God really began to just chase me. Um, I, I know, you know, Charles Spurgeon, I think maybe was the one, I don't know who said it, but uh, this idea about being pursued by the hounds of heaven. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of know what that feels like. <laughs> and and really what I began to do is I, I just, you know, I started to get into the Bible and I was I was in a, a period of life where I was um, very focused on looking at the Bible in chronology and, and really trying to understand the story as it as it unfolded. And what was God trying to communicate to us through, you know, through the big grand story of Scripture? And, and so I started looking at orphan care and adoption in terms of um the chronology of scripture and it really changed the way that I okay so I so I really you know Sandra I I kind of know what uh, if it was Spurgeon or whoever said it about being pursued by the hounds of heaven uh because uh, God really you know God really convicted my heart and it caused me to to go to the scriptures I was I was in a point and in a time in life when I was I was really captivated by studying the scriptures in chronology and, and really trying to, to understand um, God's heart and understand redemptive history from how things laid out across, you know, across the ages as scripture was delivered. And, um, and so I started to look at orphan care and adoption that way. And, and what I found was that um, our care for vulnerable children um, our care for vulnerable families as it plays out in the Old Testament and the New Testament is is really a deeper um, it's a deeper understanding of God's redemptive heart and how we as his people should be living that out and, and displaying it. And so it didn't answer all of my questions, but what it what it did answer for me was um, if if the Lord is opening a door for us to adopt, that is something that that both is practically good, but it also is something that that God God endorses that like God God is for, and and that was that provided enough confidence in the moment to step out and to you know start an adoption process, and and from there I'll I'll be honest and I'll, I'll just kind of wind up by saying we didn't have one big fat wide clue about where we were going to go or what we were going to do, and so. We, um, you know, we went through training to to become foster parents. We went through, you know, training to possibly adopt an infant domestically. Uh, we, you know, we did everything that we needed to do in our home study and our training for international adoption. 
And, and then Ukraine just started to pop up in our world in ways that were crazy and unexpected. Um, and, you know, my joke for years has been, I went, I went to public school in the eighties. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't find Ukraine on a map. And part of the reason was because it didn't exist on a map when I was in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we, um, you know, but, but over time, God just began to continue to point us toward Ukraine. And, and so in 2003, we committed to the process of, of beginning an international adoption. And, um, and that, that led to us uh, bringing our, our first son home. He was 18 months old. He came home in January of 2004. Um, and and that you know that was the beginning of our journey and and it, there have been incredible twists and turns and you know lots of uh lots of joy and lots of hard stuff and um some days it's been so hard i like i wish the guy from dateline would show up cuz <laughs> that might be easier than some of the stuff that you know that we've walked through as a family but but the the truth is um you know as we've as, as, as we move deeper into this and as we've gone farther through it, um, we still, you know, as a, as a family love it, believe in it and, and are thankful that, you know, that God built our crazy weird family through adoption. Yeah. I love that. So, so, so much of our story sort of overlapped because I know the Lord started with, with me also when it came to adoption and my husband, I remember him saying, Hmm, that's a nice idea. Maybe one day we'll do it, but he was not like ready to like, just do it. So same thing. I had to pull out that secret weapon of prayer and just trust that if the Lord was calling us to it, to it, he would get a hold of my husband's heart, which in time he did. Um, And then our, our reason for going to Ukraine was that the church that we were in at the time, the pastor's adult daughter was a missionary with YWAM in Kiev. And uh, our church would frequently do missions trips. So I had been there and I had been in orphanages there Mm -hmm. and I knew that's what, that that's what the Lord was calling us to do. So we never even considered anything else as an option. We just knew it was Ukraine. And I think after our adoptions, if anybody else would have come to me and said, oh, we're thinking about adopting, maybe, maybe we'll adopt from Ukraine. I probably would have said, no, it's not that easy. (laughs) You know, there's so many other better options probably, but you know, when the Lord leads you to a certain place, um, he's got a plan, right? And we know that the kids that mm-hmm. we brought home were the kids that he intended to place into our family. So um, so you said 2004, yeah. you brought home an, a son who was 18 months old. Um, and then- 18 months then old. Give, yeah, yeah. Give us the order of when the other kiddos joined your family. So then so then our, our second- child um we we adopted in he came home in 2010 um and he was is that right now 2009 i'm sorry he was uh he was seven at the time and um and and that's that's a crazy story we um hurricane katrina intervened in our in our lives for uh for a, a season and so we were we were living in New Orleans. I was teaching at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary at the time, and and so we were we had just started the process of of moving toward our you know our second adoption, and um, and and we spent a year and a half 
you know, washed out of her home and kind of in disarray wow. as, you know, as we recovered from, um, you know, from the hurricane. And, um, and so we, we were definitely not on the timeline that we, you know, that we wanted to, to be on. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I teach uh, or have taught is human development. So we were definitely not on the timeline that we, that we thought, you know, we would be on. And uh, I had, in my teaching career had taught human development. We've, you know, we were committed to the idea that we wanted to stay in birth order and all these things. And, um, and the Lord really used that time that we were, um, that we were waiting and the time when we couldn't move forward in our adoption to really change our hearts towards the needs of older kids. We had an opportunity to meet some kids along the way that, were, you know, school age kids that were in need of families. And, uh, and, and so, you know, again, gave us enough confidence to step out and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to open our parameters. And, um, and, and for those folks, then this is going to sound really weird for people that haven't, you know, done this, particularly that haven't done it from Ukraine, but, but you go to Ukraine, not having a match, right? Like you're right you're blind when, when you walk in and they're going to put a bunch of files in front of you and, and then it's, you know, okay, now choose one. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, we prayed and prayed and prayed and agonized over what that moment was going to be like. And, yes. you know, and, um, and, and really just committed to the Lord that um, God, whatever file they set down first, that's, that's who's ours. And unless you do something different, um, that's that's what we're going to do. And so we did. And uh, our Nicholas was that file. Um, and and there were things about his file that helped us to know right from the very beginning that it was going to be challenging. Um, we you know, he had he had been visited by several families who had um, who had begun the process to adopt him, but then it halted at some point. Um, and we were actually told in the beginning that he had 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 another family that had come to pursue him and he wouldn't even meet with them. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, so we just, you know, prayed and persevered and we traveled um, to uh, Odessa to, to the, little orphanage that he was in and we went not knowing if he would even consent to see us and he did and uh and now he's 22 years old and is uh is just a you know huge part of our family and he um and 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 all of those things that were that were concerning in his file in in one way or another have been things that have you know that have concerned us and have been a part of our lives um you know, to, to this day. And, and I know, you know, Sandra, one of the reasons that I'm always excited to talk to you and, and, and something that we have in common is, um, you know, having kiddos that have been affected by FASD and, and our, you know, our, our Nicholas is one of those kids as well. And, and so, um, so we, you know, it was tough. It was hard mm -hmm. for the first couple of years. It was hard for, um, it was hard for, for our boys together to, you know, figure out life together and, 
you know, trying to be brothers in, in the midst of that, there was a lot of, there was a lot of conflict in our home. We struggled with all kinds of behavioral interventions and things that didn't work. And, um, I remember we went to, went to CAFO in Minneapolis, I think. So whatever year that was. And, uh, and my wife and I split up and went different directions for, for seminars. And, and she went to a, she went to a workshop and she came and found me and she grabbed me by the arm and she said, you're going to this next seminar with me and you're going to sit in this lady's seminar for, for however long she chooses to teach for as many as she chooses to teach. And I'm like, okay, yes, ma'am. And uh, little did I know that was, that was Karen Purvis. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, Denise drug me into Karen's workshop um, and, uh, and, and it, it changed our lives to some degree, um, yeah. you know, beginning to beginning to learn more about, um, trauma-informed care, beginning to, you know, to learn about the, the needs of our children at a, at a deeper level, began to make something, things click. Um, of course, you know, and folks on this podcast have heard, like it didn't make everything click, particularly, when, when you have a child whose brain development has been, um, you know, has been affected by, uh, substance abuse and, and, you know, and, and that's not a, that that's not a one-for-one exchange, but certainly it, it helped things and it changed things. Um, I was pretty committed after the second one to not do it again. And so I was that guy one more time. There's a pattern if you can start to see it develop. Um, and, and so, um, and so our way of not of not adopting again and saying, "Hey, our quiver is full," was uh, we're gonna we're gonna start doing some orphan hosting, and so we're gonna bring groups of kids to the states. We did it a little differently than a lot of the hosting models that you see around, um, and so we brought a group of kids, and it was more like a camp experience. And adoption was really not the first thing that we were thinking about it really kind of wasn't the thing at all these were all older kids they were between like 11 and 17 um and it was really more of a just we just kind of wanted to show them unconditional love for a few weeks and 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 to be able to expose some people here in our church to to the kinds of things and the kind of kids that we'd met um you know in in ukraine and and so we we brought the first group. Um, they they spent three amazing weeks with us, and uh, all living together at one family's house. It was it was nuts. We just had the right conditions for that to be able to work. They had a big house and a big farm, and and it was awesome. And uh, and we put them on a plane, and uh, and no one of those kids you know, kind of seemed to captivate our hearts more than any other. And, you know, there wasn't, like I tell people, it wasn't, there wasn't this moment where there was like a, you know, bright spotlight on anybody and music didn't play in the background or anything like that. But, um, but the Lord just began a, a journey about over about the next eight months where I was, um, there was just one of those kids that I, that I could not, like I could not get off my mind. And, uh, 
And so I, I just kept praying, but I was scared to death to talk to my wife because we were in it. We were like up to our eyeballs in, you know, everything. And, and we were in no place, you know, spiritually, emotionally, financially, anything else to, to really consider an adoption at that point, in my opinion. And, and so we just, I just didn't talk about it. And finally, one night we were, you know, laying in bed, both of us were reading and, uh, and I just like, I couldn't stand it. And I finally just turned to my wife and I said, I, I got something I got to tell you. I've been holding on to something for eight months now and I just need to confess. Um, I should choke up. She, and she, she finished my sentence she said we need to adopt Nastia <gasps> and <laughs> and it was like holy cow so uh so we sat there and talked and 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 we agreed that we were not financially or emotionally or spiritually in any way ready to do that and that the lord was going to have to do something amazing for for us to to be in a place to be able to do that. And, and so we committed between just between us that we were going to pray about that together, but we were not going to tell anyone. We didn't tell our kids. We didn't tell our friends. We didn't tell our family. We didn't tell anybody. Um, and, uh, but the Lord began to do some things. He began to do some things in our kids. He began to do some things in our lives. He began to do some things in revealing some things that we could do in parenting that, that helped the temperature of our home. Um, God began to do some things in us spiritually as, as we, you know, grew and, um, but still just not ever telling anybody. And we were kind of rocking along and my accountability partner called me up one day and he said, Hey, I need to talk to you. And you know, when you're, when somebody you're in an accountability relationship says that to you, that's either like, you oh. or them, right? Like, <laughs> like, it's like, ah, and, and so I, I, you know, so I'm like trying to go, Oh, cause, cause I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, I don't know anything about me. So, you know, like <laughs> what's up. And, and so I kind of, you know, said to him, I'm like, well, well, what's up? Like, um, like what you know that you like you sound really serious and he's like he just said to me he said um i've just been observing you and i've seen something that i just need to talk to you about in person and i'm like what mm. what in the world i mean talk about self-examination yeah. yeah. and so it's like this oh wow and um and so so he took me to lunch and uh he he took me to this Mexican restaurant that we went to all the time, but he was sitting all the way in the back in the shadows, like way away from everybody else. And so it had this whole ominous feel to it. Um, and I sat down and I, you know, very nervously tried to make a little chit chat and finally I'm like, like, why are we here? And he just said, um, he said, I've been watching you for months. Um, and we were, we were together, like we were a part of a board that was doing this orphan hosting program. And he said, I've been watching you and uh, like, I see your face every time you see Nastia's picture. Mm -hmm. 
And he just looked at me and he said, is God up to something? Are you supposed, are you supposed to adopt her? Mm. Well, (laughs) 12 years later, I'm crying. You can't imagine how I was in that moment. It was, it was, um, you know, and, and so finally I did. And I confessed to him and I said, yeah, and we've been praying about it for, you know, all these months and, and, you know, we didn't even talk to each other about it. And now, and, and there's no way, and, you know, just started like babbling all this stuff. And and he looked at me and he said, and, you know, true story, no preacher, no preacher add, add on to this. He said, you know, like why? And so I told him and, uh, and he said, and, and so I, I will, I will just say in short friends of ours, um, provided resources for us to be able to do that. People came alongside us in ways to, you know, to help us to, to be able to, to bring our daughter home. Um, and so we, we adopted a 14 year old, um, and, um, totally not what we would have ever planned. Uh, It hasn't been easy. It's been crazy. Um, but I, but, but our daughter now is 26, 28. Sorry. I don't do math. Well, I went to seminary, (laughs) so she's 28. Um, you know, 14 years we've been in this journey together. Um, she's the mama of a beautiful six-year-old little girl and has a great little family and a, and a, thriving career and is, is, is doing great. And so we're, yeah, Sandra, that's a long way around to say we're launching two adults that are 20 and 21 and 22 that are still trying to figure life out, but are working and are out there and taking the next steps and, and a 28 year old that is, you know, is raising her family and, uh, and by, you know, by God's grace, um, I, we also fell in love with Ukraine along the way. And, yeah. and so, um, I, you know, I've been 26 times and have, uh, taught at key theological seminary for a number of years, taught church planners there and have, you know, served with mission teams and alongside, wow. uh, you know, other opportunities, but, uh, God gave us three beautiful kids and he also gave us a, a second home out of the deal. So, Mm. uh, so it's, it's pretty good deal. Wow. So much of your story. It's like, I was, I was taking notes because there was things (laughs) I wanted to make sure I went back, I went back to do. So it's just so interesting. So, um, we traveled the first time we went to Ukraine to adopt. We also traveled blind where we had no idea. And we had that same, you know, we were praying because we felt like, well, God knows who they are, right? God knows because right. we knew we were going to adopt a sibling group, whether it be two or mm-hmm. or we were approved for three. But how would we know? Like, we want to make sure we make that right decision, right? We didn't want to pick wrong. Um, and and I remember, I remember the first pictures they laid in front of us, very similar to your yeah. to your story. Um, it was it was three siblings. They were three, seven, and nine. Um, and the youngest was a boy. And and in my thinking and all of my imagining about adopting children from Ukraine, I always pictured the youngest as a girl. So I'm mm. like, hmm. Um, and I asked to see more pictures. We mm-hmm. asked for more. So they put like two girls, um, 
a boy and a girl, like they put a few more pictures out in front of us. And I always describe it as like playing that game hot and cold where you're, you know, looking for something and the, and the person says, Oh, you're getting colder, you're getting hotter, whatever. And it was like the more pictures they put in front of us, I felt like the colder the trail was getting. And I just kept looking at those three little faces that they first placed mm-hmm. in front of us. Cause those pictures stayed in front of us mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, God, you know, in, you know, silently I was praying, how do we know? And I mm. just sensed the Lord say, these three are mm. the least of these. And that scripture from Matthew 25 yeah. um, was a big part of, of God leading us to adopt. So then at the same time, my husband like elbowed me and said, well, what do you think? And I'm like, you know, he, he was, he was on board and then we were approved for, to adopt two. And then long story, our paper, like the Ukraine closed down. I think it was early yeah. 2006, they shut down. So we were waiting to travel during that time. Um, so then all of our paperwork expired, everything had to be redone. And I'm mm-hmm. like, if I have to do this all over again, let's up the number. Let's try, let's, let, let's, let's get approved for four kids. And my husband was like, <laughs> so we compromised on three kids because four kids was, was like that deer in the headlights. So, you know, I'm thinking he's not going to be really thrilled when I say, I think it's these three, when there's like options for two mm-hmm. and two. Um, but when I said, I think it's these three, he said, I think you're right. So yeah you know, we, we brought home those three and then we found out after we were home. Well, I shouldn't say that my husband went home because we had kids at home. And, um, the, the, the day I picked the three-year-old up from the orphanage, I just happened to ask our facilitator, how would we know if there's any more? Because they were three Mm -hmm. biological siblings and they were young. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, there is one more. And he's in this orphanage, but he's just not available yet for adoption. And it was Mm -hmm. like, what? So I got to see him from a distance um, and then just really went home and we we just agreed to keep it between us and the Lord and what mm-hmm. the Lord would do with it. Um, and then it was, we were home, uh, I think we were home about three months and our oldest biological son said, you know, what if, what if there's more? Mm-hmm. And we're like, what if there is more? Because we didn't tell anybody. And he said, well, we'd have to go get them because it wouldn't be fair if we're all here and they're still over there. So I <laughs> felt like that testimony that, okay, we didn't like destroy our family by bringing home three extra kids, right? Three kids. Yeah. Um, but we still didn't say anything. And then right. we were home. The kids were home about nine months when the oldest Ukrainian boy said, I have a brother. He had enough English at that point where he, yeah. he and we never told him in that the, he was in an older or the, you know, a school, an orphanage for the older kids. Yeah. The youngest one was in the baby house. So he'd never met him. We had no idea he even knew anything about him, but some, our facilitator before we came home from Ukraine told him, you still have a brother here. So by the time mm-hmm. he was able to say, I have a brother, and uh, we knew it was time to go back. So long yeah. story short, but I, we may have been in Ukraine very similarly in 2010 because we traveled in 2010 to bring home number four. Yeah. Um, we were there in October of 2010. Wow. Curious when you we traveled. Were, so we were we were there um, a little bit later. So we were there. We were actually there December and January. Um, we, we overlapped um, wow. December and January. But yeah, we, but very close in time frame. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, that's it's amazing. We, you know, Sandra, we went all three times we went expecting to adopt a sibling group. Um, even mm-hmm. with our daughter, our daughter had a sister and it's a long story, but, uh, but we came home with three, three individual children 
uh, every time expecting that we would have, um, you know, we would have brought a sibling group home. And so um, it's just, you know, it's amazing to see the way that people's stories are, you know, so similar, you know, yet different, but it was funny when you were, when you were telling your story, when you were on our podcast, um, it, I was having the same kinds of moments going, Oh my goodness. Like we've, we've lived very, very similar lives. And, uh, and that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. The overlap is just incredible. And, um, so I know you mentioned, you, you said their ages, but how old is everybody now? So everybody, so our daughter now is uh, 28. Our, our sons are uh, 22 and 21. And, and so, yeah, so our, our baby that came home at 18 months is, is now, he's now 21. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're entering that next phase of life. Yeah. So the, and the FASD piece is interesting because now we, we, we are the first three kind of clicked in. I mean, it was, it was, blessed chaos, but there wasn't major behavioral problems that, that we mm-hmm. were dealing with. But when we brought home number four, the second we met him in the orphanage, really, we knew like, we're not prepared mm-hmm. to parent this kiddo, um, in highly suspected prenatal alcohol exposure. And then eventually the younger two did get that diagnosis. They were six and eight and they both were diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, and then I was, our regular listeners know we got no resources or support. It was just, here's your yeah. diagnosis. Have a nice day. So how did you pursue getting diagnosis for, you know, is, is it too, yeah. is your, well, yeah, both, so both of our, part. yeah. So both of our boys have, um, you know, have some, some things going on. Our, our youngest is, is, uh, he's on the autism spectrum. So he's a, he's what, you know, what previously would have been called an Asperger's kid. Um, and, um, and, and so, you know, we knew from very early on with him that there were some, you know, there were some things that were different. Um, and Mm -hmm. we began to see some, you know, some very, um, telltale signs of, um, you know, that, uh, that pointed us toward the idea that, you know, that, that it was uh, probably something on the autism spectrum. Um, we, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, he has a dad with a PhD in education and a mom who spent 15 years as a special ed teacher before, uh, before she, uh, retired to stay home with him and with, you know, with the rest of our gang. And, and so, so that from, you know, there was somewhat of an ability for us to, to know how to seek services and know what to do. Um, we also, uh, I, I left teaching and moved into, uh, back into the local church and, and the church that I was serving, uh, our chairman of deacons was a behavioral pediatrician who actually served on president Bush's council for ADHD. And, uh, mm-hmm. he was an incredible gift to us right off the bat to, to really dive in and help us with a lot of, you know, a lot of testing, a lot of, um, just, you know, a lot of consultation about, you know, where to go and what to do. When we brought our, our second home, uh, it was pretty obvious that we were dealing with something that was different. <laughs> it didn't take a whole long time to, to figure out that, um, that a whole lot of the conventional things that we knew and had learned were not yeah. probably extremely helpful with him. Um, and we struggled quite frankly for years to get, uh, you know, to get a final diagnosis and, and to, you know, to, to really nail down, um, the, uh, you know, the, 
FASD portion of, of his story. But I, I think um, it, yeah. So a lot of what even has happened to us in not just our family, but even in, in ministry over, you know, over these years is responsive to the journey that we've been on with our kids. Um, you know, we're, we, we have been, uh, Denise and I both have been invested in planning a ministry here at Lifeline called Bridge Educational Services. And really our focus is um, working with kids that have, you know, that, that have come from hard places, working with kids that have learning differences and, and leveraging um, brain plasticity the, the best mm -hmm. that we know how today. And so really taking a neurobiological approach to education, um, trying to bring more of a, of a social emotional focus to, to those things that we do that are, you know, that are honoring to what we know in, in, you know, in neurobiology. And so we're trying to really um, bring together all the worlds of, of all the mm -hmm. things that, you know, that, that folks that are, you know, that are in our, um, in our space kind of understand and, and believe in, but, but a big part of that journey, honestly, was, um, was fighting for our own kids and advocating for them and, um, and, and the, you know, the unfolding journey. And I mean, I've, I've seen and read and heard enough of your story to know that, um, we started out in all this at a time when nobody knew much of anything and, right. and, and what they, what, you know, half of what we needed, did know was wrong. And the other mm -hmm. half was scary and, um, and, you know, pretty, pretty dark and depressing and hope. And they're still, they're still very, very hard things that are, you know, that are a part of, um, you know, part of, of walking alongside an adult who has some, mm -hmm. you know, pretty significant struggles with, um, the, the way that he perceives the world and, and, you know, his ability to make decisions and, uh, discriminate information and all those sorts of things. And, and, and those things, and those things don't go away, but, but we have a much better sense of how to support him. And we have a much better sense of how to come around him as we support him, uh, because of what we know today. So, um, you know, our, um, and, and, a, and a lot of, quite honestly, I think a lot of our quest is to just, we, we want to dedicate the rest of our lives to, um, to making sure that families that come behind us that have the same sorts of challenges have, have better resources, have better information and have better, yeah. better access. Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm all about too. The more I have learned and the more I've recognized how prevalent prenatal exposure to alcohol is among especially the population of kids in foster care yeah. and adopt, adoptive homes the more i'm just passionate about every every caregiver being able to have that to be equipped to understand what it is and what those symptoms are and then how to come alongside and accommodate and support our kids so that they can be successful um and it is a lifelong a lifelong journey so yeah um such similar stories we have it's so exciting um <laughs> One of the things, because I've I've also read your book, the Orphanology book, which I pulled off my shelf and said, "Oh, there it is! I still have it." Um, and you talk a little bit about that, you know, that that gospel-centered piece, right? So, yeah. um, you know, we're talking here. This is adoption is not an easy journey. There's a lot of challenges, but why? 
you know, but why should believers consider prayerfully consider adoption? Yeah, I I think it's, you know, first of all, I will, there are things that I said, um, however many years ago when we wrote orphanology that I don't know that I would say today. Um, but, um, but I, but I think, I think the, the truth is we're all called to be, Mm -hmm. to be in the work of caring for orphan and vulnerable children. Every family is not called or cut out to adopt. Um, And I don't say that, I don't say that because I, you know, try to act like, you know, we've got it all together. It, it's anything but that it's, yeah. um, I think, you know, um, you know, what, you know, what man starts a project without counting the cost. And that's, you know, there's a biblical concept mm-hmm. to consider even there that, um, yeah. the, the cost of adoption is, you know, can be quite high. And I think, you know, we have to, we have to talk truthfully about those things but and and i think i think back early on in in the in the christian adoption and orphan care movement we equated a lot of the movement with adoption and and right. so like adoption was like the thing that you're supposed to do and i just think that's terrible thinking and it's and it's yeah. proven out to be over you know over time um Nevertheless, I believe that adoption is exactly the right solution for some children, and it's exactly the right plan for some families. And and so I think I think if it incumbent upon us, um, we you know those of us that are that are in this space, we need to be preparing families. We need to be investing in them. We need to be you know, we need to be building churches that are prepared to wrap around them and provide, yeah. you know, supportive community for them. All of that ultimately has a way of of putting the gospel on display. Um, yeah. You can't tell the story of your family. I can't tell the story of my family and, and who we are and how we've come together that that the story of who our family is doesn't kick the door wide open to us being able to tell the story of the gospel. Right. You know, the, the story that God has made outsiders insiders, the story that mm-hmm. God has adopted us into his family. Yeah. And that doesn't say so much about our families as much as it says about him, because mm-hmm. we know we're not perfect parents. We know that we didn't, you know, we didn't save or rescue anybody and, you know, that we didn't, you know, we don't have the power to do those things, but, but truly like you can't enter in and do this work or you can, but you shouldn't enter in and do this work without, you know, without a view as a, as a believer to how this, how this demonstrates the gospel in, you know, big and small ways. And, and that, and that part of what we can't ever let this become, I think, is it's not just it's not just good social science. It's not just good political action. It's not just good, you know, humanitarian work. Um, we as believers are called into this because this is who our father is and because of because of how he relates to us and because of how he cares for his creation. And so we we as his children um we just want to find really practical ways to be like him and yeah. adoption is one of those ways 
And, and so in a world where it's not in vogue to say that sometimes, and in a world where we kind of, you know, almost put adoption at arm's length and we don't want to talk about, you know, international adoption, there are kids all over the world that, um, that will not be able to be adopted in, you know, in their home country. And, and none of us that are advocating for international adoption are advocating for anything other than, um, kids that can't be placed in their home country to be placed right. elsewhere. Um, and, and so again, we, you know, we're part of what we have given our lives to is, um, seeding and catalyzing adoption movements in other countries to raise up Christians who yes. are living this way and doing these things and are yes. engaged in foster care and engaged in adoption in their own context, um, and in their own country and doing it with tools and resources and things that help them yeah. to be, you know, incredibly effective in that. But, but the, but the gospel piece of it is that the thing that motivates us, the thing that drives us and keeps us in it is, is nothing other than um, who God is and, and mm -hmm. how, you know, how he's, how he's called us to tell the story of, you know, of, of, his redemptive work and, and to tell the story of Jesus. And we get the privilege of doing that, um, you know, as adoptive families, just because that's who we are. That's who our, that's who our, that's our story. Well said, well said. I love that because, you know, like James one twenty seven, which you mentioned earlier, it's, we're all called right to care for mm -hmm. the orphan, the vulnerable it's not necessarily through adoption. There may be yeah. other, some of us are called to bring children into our homes, but not, you know, we, we also need foster parents. We also need respite providers. We also need to support churches and, and, and agency organizations in other countries who are trying to do family preservation work in those countries. So kids can stay in their home country. Mm -hmm. There's so well, many ways. Go ahead. Well, Sandra, I've said this, I probably said this a thousand times and, and, but I think James one twenty seven. you point that out, that's the verse we all run up the flagpole and that's the, you know, that's kind of the simple thing for us. But it's interesting to me in the church that we have, that we have looked at caring for vulnerable children and, and caring for vulnerable women as optional. We've looked at it as work for only right. some people in the church. Well, why don't we look at the second half of the verse as optional? Because nobody thinks keeping oneself unstained from the world, nobody's walking around saying personal holiness is just something for a, for a segment of the church. We're all right. saying we're called to be like Jesus and we're all called to pursue holiness, but yet we become comfortable in the church saying this, well, that's just a few people that have, that have that calling. No, that's a general specific calling to everyone in the church. And, and so there's something everybody can do and the job of people like, you know, you and me and a lot of others is is just to bang the drum and to, you know, help to show people what the opportunities are. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that you're doing is you also host a podcast, which I, I had the opportunity to be on the Defender podcast. So tell yep. our audience who may not know about your podcast about that. Yeah, so uh, Herbie Newell, our executive director here at Lifeline, and I host uh, the Defender podcast, and and it is um, essentially it's kind of what it sounds like. We're, um, you know, we believe that we've been called, and so every week uh, we take a different angle at looking at ways that we can step in um, to to 
work on behalf of vulnerable families and vulnerable children uh, for the sake of Christ. And, uh, and we have all kinds of guests and all kinds of people, and some of them are close to home and people that are part of our team here. Um, others are, you know, folks that, that are, that are speaking on a much bigger stage and, um, you know, and, and have a very significant message. And, and so would love for you to join us on that. Um, and, and just, you know, also would just invite folks to, um, our, our ministry at Lifeline, we, we try to have answers and solutions that are, that are gospel centered and gospel focused all the way along the continuum. And so everything from, you know, women that find themselves in crisis pregnancy, all the way to, um, you know, children that are in need of temporary care through foster care or adoption or family reunification work, or even kids that are going to age out of the system without permanency, both here at home and around the world. We have, we have things that we can do to help mobilize your church in all of those areas. And and we'd love to talk to you about it. So on the Defender podcast, we just take little pieces of that and, uh, and, and talk about it all the time. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about out lifeline because and give us the website we'll put the show we'll put the a link yeah. in the show notes but yeah tell us about Lifeline. so uh so our, our website is lifelinechild.org lifeline exists to equip the body of christ to manifest the gospel to orphan vulnerable children and that just very simply means that we're here to prepare the church to do the work that the church has been called to do and and uh we we have work currently in 26 different countries we are uh, we we work in or have child placing licenses in 18 states, uh, but we literally work around the U.S. and work in all 50 states in some capacity. And um, and, and so much of what we do is just about giving the church the training and the resources and the platform for churches to be able to do this work. And, and we can literally do those things um, anywhere with anyone. And so if you know, if, if you're in a church where you have an orphan care ministry or you have a ministry to vulnerable children or vulnerable families, there's probably something we can do to help you. Um, if you're in a church where you haven't quite figured that out yet, but you want to, we can come alongside and help with that as well. And and literally all of that and all those resources can be found at lifelinechild.org. Get in touch with us. We'd love to we'd love to connect with your church and we'd love to help any way we can. Yeah. Great, great organization doing great work. And what about your book, Orphanology? Where can our listeners grab a copy of that? Yeah. So Orphanology, uh, there's also a follow-up that came out called No Orphans, K-N-O-W, uh, No Orphans. And that's um, that's a little bit more focused toward international orphan care and international adoption. Uh, but both of those, you can find them on Amazon or any of the places where, you know, where books are sold and, um you know, orphanology. I think I, I did I, while we were sitting here. I did actually look, and it it was published in 2011. Mm-hmm. So, holy cow! Like <laughs> what? That was a long time ago. Um, but uh, you know, but I still get royalty checks that are of the size to allow me to get a small fry at McDonald's. So somebody's still buying it, and mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think there's some things in there that might be able to be helpful. Although I will acknowledge that there's some things that are dated that probably don't you know, don't apply to today. Um, but uh, orphanology really is just our heart in writing the book was to say, if you're an average person in an average church, um, what can you do to respond to James 127? And and yeah. it's just stories of people that have found um, really exceptional ways to be able to step in and 
um, and to, to do something about the orphan crisis. Yeah, I love that. And I know books are, we we write our books and then they're out there and then we grow <laughs> when we learn. And, you know, same way my book came out and I was really just, um, just scratching the surface in the FASD space when my book was released. So there's a little tiny bit about FASD in there. Yeah. Um, but now it's like, I wish I had written so much more about it. So I have another book, another book brewing that is more FASD specific, but I know. Well, you're more courageous than I am. I can't, I don't have the strength to do it again anytime soon. So I, uh, I, Lord bless you. (laughs) Mom, I figure if he wants me to do it right, he'll, he'll make a way. That's it. Um, That's it. And I know we could talk forever, but I do want to, we got to wrap it up here, but I want to ask you because so many of our listeners are adoptive and foster parents like, like, like you and I, yeah. Um, so would you would you take a moment to just offer some encouraging words to yeah. help to help us as we are on this journey? Yeah. Um, and and even maybe I want to offer a little bit of a practice to families to something to do. Um, you know, there's a there's an interesting pattern in the Old Testament that that whenever God shows up, um, he 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 commands Israel to build an altar. And and so you have all these moments along the way where where God shows up and he does something significant among the people and and his response to them is to build an altar. Well, I think adoptive parenting helped me to understand why. <laughs> because because I think what God was up to in that is he knew that there was going to come a time sometime in the future when when his people were going to need to walk by that pile of rocks. And they were going to need to remember that he showed up and that he called them and and that he said something significant to them. And and I think as as adoptive and foster families, we need to be in the practice of when when God does something important, we need to write it down. We need to commemorate it. We need to remember mm-hmm. it. Um, we need to we need to put it into the story of our family. <laughs> Because there's going to be some time in the future when you're going to need to be reminded of that. You're going to need to know that God showed up. You're going to need to remember that he called you to something. You're going to need to remember that he did something significant in you or through you or, or to someone else by you. Because, because we all have those moments where the the enemy reinforces to us and and we feel like we've been abandoned or we feel like we've been left or or mm-hmm. we feel like we're wrong and and walking through hard difficult sometimes unspeakable circumstances mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you've been abandoned and it doesn't mean that you're that you've done the wrong thing what it does mean is um, that it's that it's incredibly hard to focus on truth in those moments. And so I would just say, build a practice in your family that when things are good and and when and when you're seeing God do things of significance that you that you write those things down, that you remember them um, so that you have them in those times when when that's not necessarily the way you feel. Yeah. Such, such great word of wisdom there. Cause I know I, I was a journaler, especially back before I had all of the kids that we have, but <laughs> those journals were, were like history books 
that I yeah. could use to write my memoir. Um, but going back through and seeing what the Lord had done and how he brought it all together and, and just, it was incredible. So knowing that this is what he called us to, he placed these children into our family. So even on those hard days, cause he never said it was going to be easy. Right. Didn't we right. promise trials and tribulations, right. But he was going to be right. with us. So right. um, it's important to, to, to see what God has done um, and trust that he, he still does it. So Dr. Rick, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing you. your story and for all that you guys are doing um, in and through Lifeline. Um, pleasure talking with you today. Well, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Rick Morton today. Um, such an incredible story. I'm so in awe of how our story sort of intersected and overlapped with the Ukrainian adoption. Um, but if you want to learn more, um, there's a link in the show notes. Just go to lifelinechild.org. They have some great programs. Uh, you can find the Defender podcast on their website. You can also pick that up wherever you listen to your podcasts as well. So I hope you were uh, encouraged by Dr. Rick Morton today. We're here to encourage you. We're also here to equip you. So be sure to check out our website, justicefororphansny.org for FASD training and workshops and coaching and our support group, our online support community for parents and caregivers caring for kids that were prenatally exposed, whether your kiddos have a diagnosis or not. Um, it's the only faith-based FASD support group that I know of in the entire world. So if you want to get in on that, you can learn more on our website. Um, there is a small monthly fee, but we do have scholarships. So if you really feel like you need to be part of that group and you just can't swing the $15 a month, which just covers all of our administrative fee to be able to have three support group meetings a month, as well as maintain um, the private Facebook group and the devotional videos that we release for that. Um, just let us know and we will scholarship you in uh, because we want to support you for this parenting journey. Please make sure again that you um, follow or subscribe to our podcast, to the YouTube channel, um, so that you don't miss a single episode because we want to encourage and equip you for this parenting journey. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.